women who are listening out there or men who are alongside women, um, you know, I think trust that that God's going to weave those things and help you be the exact unique person that you are in this world and that God can use in ways that he can't use somebody else. Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt. At Wellspring, we deeply desire to see pastors and other leaders lead and serve God out of a well-tended inner life. We recognize that the pressures most leaders face are enormous and challenging, especially in our current context. If you're a faith leader, we want to come alongside and help people lead in ways that are both sustainable and intentional, integrated with a wholeness of life and generative. In other words, we want to see you flourish, not just survive. So on this podcast, we talk to authors, pastors, thought leaders, and others who are seeking to practice life and ministry in the ways of Jesus. Since we know there's so many voices clamoring for your attention, we want to listen most closely to the ones that are seeking to understand and emulate the one who is life and truth, the one who calls us his beloved. So today we're talking with Andrea Coley. Andrea is a Soul Care alum, Soul Care being our nine-month retreat-based spiritual formation pathway that is both experiential and immersive, also deeply relational and transformative. Andrea and I actually went through Soul Care together a few years ago. She is a teaching pastor at Crosswinds Church in Livermore, California. She earned her master's from Fuller Seminary and has been leading ministries for over 25 years. She's also the executive director for Lead Bold, which she'll talk about here, a nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping and empowering women in ministry. And she's also on the teaching team for Preacher Chicks United, love that title, an incubator for women of color to cultivate their gifts of preaching and teaching. She's a frequent conference and ministry and church communicator and speaker, and she just loves to speak life and love to anyone who's around. She's a lot of fun to talk to. Enjoy this conversation with Andrea Coley. Andrea Coley, what a pleasure. This is going to be a lot of fun to have the conversation with you today. And um, let's just start at the beginning, or at least your beginning. Uh, where were you born? Um, what was that like? No, just kidding. <laughs> where were you born and what? where did you grow up? Tell us about that. Awesome. Thanks, Richard. I'm so glad to get to be here and talk to, you know, my Wellspring family and everybody else. Um, yeah, I was born in a little town in Southern California where once you grew up, your goal was to leave. It was one <laughs> of those kind of towns. And if you didn't leave at 18 or when you graduated, you probably never did. So I got out of there as soon as I graduated. I didn't go far. I stayed in Southern California until I was about 25. So yeah, I did not grow up in a household of faith. Okay. Um, my parents got divorced when I was real young, like two. And I lived with my mom. Okay. And for some strange reason, she sent me to this little Christian school that was just a few blocks from our house. And that is where I came to faith. So... Became a Christian in first grade, stayed at the school. By fifth grade, 
I was like, hmm, I think I should start going to church. So I had my mom drop me off, go to Sunday school. And so then they, I heard about baptism and I decided to get baptized. All so on your own. Had my mom drop me off to get baptized. Oh, yeah, totally all on my own. And she's like, okay. <laughs> okay, I mean. totally. I, I also remember the day I, I became a Christian. She picked me up and I got in the car and I said, mom, guess what I did today? And, you know, I told her and it was like, okay go home and that was all we ever spoke of it really she wasn't cur- neither worried nor curious exactly just okay it uh-huh. was very that very much characterized i think my growing up with a growing up with a single mom um it was very much like i i kind of learned to be very independent and mm. most decisions even ones that maybe shouldn't be in the hands of a kid were up to me and that's kind of just how it was wow so, so your mom isn't opposed to your faith uh, journey. It's like, okay, you, you know, that's fine. And you get baptized. And I mean, at, as a, as a kid, did you have a sense of a, a trajectory of your life? Did you envision what you wanted to do or be? You know, I, before I went to college, I found a church that I really loved and was really engaged in uh, location wise. I was able to stay engaged in that church all through college. That's when I, that was a church that had a drama team. So I joined the drama team and I was leading in the kids men and I did a little bit of stuff. We kind of had some choir stuff, but I've always just been dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) It came natural. Okay. On the Enneagram, you are a... Oh, I'm a seven. Yes. 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 That makes makes sense. sense. So you go off to college to where? Oh, I went to Whittier College okay. in Southern California. And you were going to study or did study? Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was doing even when I got there. I finally landed on biology. I do have my biology undergrad degree. However, right after undergrad, I went to seminary. So I guess I <laughs> didn't follow that trajectory very well. But what I would say when I was at Fuller, when people asked about this, I said, well, I studied the body and now I'm studying the spirit. So I'll be very holistic. Nice. Nice. That's a good answer. After I was married, we moved to Michigan and um, I got involved in something called the Second City in Detroit. And that's where it went a little different direction. Yeah. No, we're gonna, we're gonna, we need to circle back to that a second because we just skipped over. You met your husband right chris yes and, and who's also soul care alum but he and uh pastor uh you guys both pastor here at crosswinds mm-hmm. church but second city so for those that, people that don't know second city they may have heard that term it's like wasn't that isn't that somehow connected or associated with saturday night live and all that kind of stuff tell us tell us what second city is and how you got involved in, in it right so in short yes second city is sort of the the mothership of all things improv um started in the 50s um and in chicago and many of the names that we all know and love um from saturday night live have kind of gone through the ranks of the second city so they have theaters or had at the time throughout the United States and and in Toronto as well. And so they would hire, you know, they would cast casts (laughs) that would do sketch comedy shows and improv. And there, um, so there was a, there was one of those there in Detroit. And then there was a training conservatory that you could go and take classes and kind of go through these levels. 
And so that's kind of how I got involved there. Wow. So your your background, though, I mean, you'd been doing some of this in college, and it's, it sounds like there was always something in you that was interested in this, at least. Or what, well, what, yeah. definitely the performance, the the performative. Um, gene or whatever the desire is there and interestingly uh which we'll probably talk about later is that performance mindset for many years and and I still fight with it today plays out in my faith and and in fact soul care was a big part of helping Mm. me uh tame that dragon as we as we (laughs) become friends with that dragon as Patty would say yeah um so so yes I mean I definitely have just always been friendly with the stage like to have attention I'm a seven as we as we have established so I don't mind the attention I love speaking in front of people and all that so it was kind of a I hadn't really done improv before but it worked enough for me to make it through the audition and for them to say I could join this conservatory so and so you're doing improv and I mean and which is all about getting Getting a reaction, getting a laugh, all of that. Well, or no? technically, Richard, it's okay, about living truthfully in the moment. Okay. And when you live truthfully in the moment, it often happens to be funny. Okay. <laughs> well, I find myself unintentionally funny a lot. Yeah. So that's good to know. So, so what? What part of that just was? Um, I don't know. Did it? Did it feel like this is what I was made to do when you're on the stage or is it, what was it like? You know, it's funny because while I feel very natural and a good fit to be performing and to be on stage and even to be doing improv in many ways, it never, I, I, in some ways I felt like an oddball in our troupe because it seemed like everybody else was like trying to make it, trying to really go, and this was their trajectory. And literally my reason for joining the conservatory is so that I could get better at church, you know, so I could be better acting in church, so that I could be better on stage at church, so that I can be better if anybody ever lets me give a sermon. You know, that was kind of more... My so there really goal. were no, like, uh, I want to get discovered. No, I'd love to be, not I at all. I don't want to do that. Okay. No, no. Did, did you, just out of curiosity, did you, were you with anybody that later went on to become somebody? Well, yes. Actually, Keegan-Michael Key was one oh. of my teachers in Detroit. Yeah. And then later when I was a performer with Second City in Vegas, um, Jason Sudeikis um, was one of the performers there. And then Kay Cannon, who wrote uh, perfect pi- wait perfect pitch is that what it's called pitch oh wait perfect. pitch perfect <laughs> there you go one of those I couldn't remember she she was one of the per- one of the performers there so yeah that's wow. about it and then nice. I've met some alum at a in Vegas we did a um a Katrina relief mm. uh fundraiser and a lot of alums came and so I had them all sign my second city book that nice. was about it so meanwhile, you're so you're doing this, but that there there's ministry happening also. There's been this uh, season of of life, marriage, ministry of kind of f- sort of finding your way and tr- continuing to find your way. in. what's your spiritual journey like in these in this season? The 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 underlying frustration about feeling not unleashed to do what I felt like God had called me and gifted me to do definitely sort of marked my journey. Mm. Um, It was tough because I knew I was called to ministry. I knew I was gifted there. I knew that was my heart. But for many years at a few different churches, I found myself doing all sorts of 
just random day jobs mm. and then leading as a volunteer wherever I could in, within the church. A con it felt like kind of a hustle or a, like trying to, again, find where I fit. Mm. Um, partly, partly because of just, you know, you want that to click in your life, but also very legitimately because I felt like this is how I'm supposed to be using my gifts and I am not. So how long into this journey here does soul care intersect and and then yeah and how did it intersect? Yes. So Chris went through soul care first and I guess that was maybe about five or six, six years ago, five years ago. Uh, I don't know. Um, and, you know, he just happened to meet somebody who was an alum. As you know, it's, uh, you know, you kind of have to have an in to get in. And uh, so he got invited to be part of that cohort. Um, the next year I was in it and we were in the same right. cohort together. We That's sure how were. Richard and I met. Yep. We weren't in the same small group no, in the cohort, no. but we were together. My loss. Um, me too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, so soul care came up when I was, I, I was already, I've, uh, I'm still part-time at the church. We could talk about the other part-time in a minute, sure. but um, so I had already for a while been sort of at that part-time pastoral level okay. when I went into soul care. And what drew you and or Chris to it and what, and for you specifically, what was, what was the experience of soul care like? Well, what drew me into it was that in addition to um, my work with Crosswinds before moving to the Bay Area and then for sure since, I have also been speaking other places. And that side of ministry, which is partly why I only ever was part-time here, that side of ministry um, seemed like it was gaining momentum and growing. And so what was also growing in me was sort of this... Um, dissonance of am I going to be able to hold both of these things in the future if this one thing and maybe this other thing are both growing hmm. and so for a number of years I sensed that this other thing was growing and it seemed like there was going to be some sort of broadening of it now here's what I'll say I am not a discerning person I'm I don't have good instincts I'm not I don't have a good gut instinct none of that so if I sense something is coming it has to be very obvious so it was like wait I really sense this I think this is happening so right at that time is when the opportunity for soul care came around and I guess I just felt like this is what I need to be able to ground myself in God so that if this broadening really happens, I don't get, hmm. I don't turn into something that I'm not supposed to be hmm. because this thing affects me. You know, I don't want to become all about the thing. I want, I want my, who I am to, to be grounded in the inner life with God. Um, I have struggled ever since I was that little kid at the Baptist school who was told they're supposed to have devotions every morning. Like I struggled with feeling like I always was failing at that. Mm. Um, because I don't love reading the Bible. <laughs> so we'll come back to that. We can help you with that. <laughs> edit that out. <laughs> um, so 
so I just felt like, you know, I don't know what it needs to look like, or I don't know how to get there, but mm-hmm. I need to somehow have some something consistent that keeps me grounded in the me and Jesus relationship so that whatever ministry looks like, it it doesn't consume me and it doesn't turn me into a jerk or an arrogant person or a person who's like full of themselves, you know? So that was really what drew me, why I wanted to do it then. Well, I'm I'm really struck by your awareness of that because, I mean, if there is a crisis, well, there's probably lots of crisis in the, in the, church itself that we could point to, but one of them seems evident to, to me and others, I'm not the first to point this out, that, that sometimes people's giftedness and competence uh, gets them platform, gets them uh, position, gets them uh, a spotlight, if you will, and their inner life hasn't either been prepared for that or isn't being nurtured in a way that can sustain or even discern, like you said, what's healthy for them, what would be a, a good space for them. And so you, I'm struck by your awareness of a need for that and and saying, I, I know I, I need and want that. And and so how in, in what ways did you discover or find that available to you in going through soul care? Well, one of the things I really appreciate about soul care is that while there are certain these certainly these kind of modules and this these ideas that we go through in these practices certainly we all apply them different ways right and mm-hmm. we were in the same year like we mm-hmm. said and we can probably both point to very different sure important moments or topics that hit us differently mm-hmm. so what i found is that i was very much able to glean from the conversation and from my direction with terry and in my own time and all the things, um, really finding a way, I guess, to to realize that, I, I guess, to further embrace God's acceptance of me mm. and why that mattered is because as somebody who is so performative, mm. who who's like doing the spiritual tap dance to impress God, also because I like it, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, to be able to really... L- lay that down and realize that yes, it's good. And yes, it brings me joy. And yes, God can use me that way. And that's all good things. Those are all in my backpack as you know, we learned one time, um, that also none of it matters Hmm. when it comes to the Jesus and me part. So when we, when we at the end talked about the cycle of grace and the cycle of works, that was really profound for me because even now, even even right now, I'm reviewing that um, to just continue to stay in that starting with acceptance as a way to hold loose, you know, active indifference, all that stuff that I learned in soul care, all the performing. And I would say, and I this may sound weird, but I feel like most of my performing quote unquote fruit has been very positive Mm -hmm. and I think it's been good. And like I said, I think God's used it and I think it is in my giftedness. Um, But even the good stuff, I feel like I got to keep letting go of it, kind of keep shedding it Mm -hmm. because otherwise it kind of poisons. If I even hold it a little, 
it's like, ooh, look what I'm bringing to the cross. Wow, <laughs> you right. know, so all wow. of that in soul care, all of that just continued to, it was like they were just putting these seeds out and that was all just kind of being fertilized and growing and even now just still trying to nurture all that. Yeah. Well, this, this cycle of grace that uh, Andrea's referring to, again, if you're not familiar or a refresher, is that the reality is most of us seem to inherit a way of being in the world, which is I work for acceptance, approval, affirmation, and you know from our parents, from teachers, from the world itself. And, and it's a particular hazard, I think, for those in pastoral or vocational ministry, others as well, but certainly there, because we do get either the pats on the back or God really used you or we experience that and that does feel good and there's nothing wrong with that feeling good but then we start to sort of build our identity on it or we or if it's not there we kind of crash and burn or we get hollowed out or we just or we feel guilt or shame because yes. we're not doing enough yeah because it's it can be either addictive you know I need the next little pat on the back or at a at a boy at a girl or right you said or, I, or I'm not doing enough and all of that becomes a pretty vicious trap. And what if you reverse the cycle, if, if you will, which is the idea that we, what if we started with, we already are beloved, we already are accepted, which is, it sounds wonderful, but living from that space, li- actually embracing and being embraced by God in the depths of who we are, well, that's, that's not just a flip a switch kind of moment, is it? How, how have you found God meeting you in that space? Where? How do you experience his, Andrea, you already are my beloved. How, how, do, you, how do you access that? Well, the, the irony is that if I choose to believe that, and I really do believe it, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess probably some people sh- for sure struggle to even believe that's true. Yeah. Somehow I, I really do believe that's true. Whether I live like it or not is where where I have to wrestle. But if I really believe that's true, then in a weird uh, uh, in a weird twist, even when I get it wrong, it's okay because I'm still accepted. You right, know, so right. like even as I wrestle it and even as I try to live into it, like you're saying, when I get it wrong, it's still sort of dust in the wind and I'm still accepted. So, so I I think for me, it's been freeing and very joyful Hmm. because I really do believe it's true. Um, one of, uh, one of, uh, we have a friendship with someone here at church who comes and speaks sometimes and he's a, um, you know, professor and a, a psychologist and theologian, all that stuff. But, and I don't think he coined this or anything, but he's always like, what part Jesus paid it all. Like what part of all did Jesus not pay, you know? And so it's this sense of, I really do believe that. So I feel freedom in getting to practice, Mm. trying to live it out, knowing that every time I don't, it's not a mark against me. That's so good. Even because we can make people even like myself can make, well, if I'm, how do I believe it well enough or how do I live into it well enough? And that even performing in that way, performing, getting it, um, is become, it's its own kind of trap. Mm -hmm. So even like, even if I don't get it, it's still, it doesn't change my identity. That's so good. So it sounds like that was a pretty significant kind of, you know, anchoring truth for you. 
It definitely was. It definitely was. And I think will be, you know, like they say when you get married, like the issues you have early on, they're kind of the same issues you have later. You just hope you've navigated them better. But, you know, you and I think as at least for me, the the struggles that I had even as a young believer are kind of still the same. So I think it, I just have more knowledge or maybe more grace with myself or whatever. But so I think this will probably always be mm. something that I have to actively pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we even talk about that in soul care, the idea of living into the tension of it. It's, it's, it's with us. I mean, I, I tend to want to get to a space like, when will this no longer be a struggle? <laughs> right. Can I, can I, and like maybe when I'm with Jesus face to face. I think that's going to be when it yeah. happens. Out of that soul care year, God was giving you a, kind of another vision for uh, for a ministry that you want to talk a little bit about, about Lead Bold? Yes, absolutely. So right as our soul care year was ending, um, another kind of seed got planted in me through a conversation with some other women pastors um, where it came to fruition in uh, this organization called Lead Bold um, that is um, all about equipping and empowering women leaders to reach their full potential in ministry. So it is a movement uh, to come alongside and activate women who are ministry leaders. So it started off, what, what the first kind of fruit of it was, was a conference that we had where... Um, that was in the fall of 2019. Okay. So I think we finished our soul care in the spring of 2018. I think that's when it was because that's kind of when I first started thinking about this and talking about it. And, you know, so of course, so we had this conference, 250 women from all over the greater Bay Area and a few other states thrown in, all congregated here at my church. And it was a powerful couple of days that, I think is lacking where women get to rub shoulders, make eye contact, be in the presence of just a bunch of other women who have a, an innate understanding of the unique journey of a woman in, in the church or in a different faith-based space, mm -hmm. uh, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So we knew something was happening. Uh, we were all over the place seeing God kind of bubble this up. I mean, this was all word of mouth. Like mm. this was just, we would talk to women and tell them about this conference that we didn't even know how to describe it because it didn't exist. We were just trying to build it. We would tell them about it and you didn't have to convince them. You just had to tell them when it was and how they got tickets. Like they they were just like, yes, that's a thing. I want to be there. Mm. You know, so it was, there was a real, I think, deficit in having anything like this. Yeah. Um, of course, what's uh, seven months later, the pandemic hit. Uh, however, and so we pivoted like everybody else did, um, but our momentum kept going. And in fact, in, um, in 20, later toward the end of 2020, we, we received um, a large amount, a large donation that was seed money. Um, we got our 501c3 then that following January. I um, officially stepped in as the executive director, thus filling sort of my other 20 hours of work life. Um, and what's fascinating is that you know, years ago when I started to feel like something was broadening, 
the only category I had for it was, well, I guess it must have to do with my speaking and this other ministry that's mostly to women, um, mostly retreats, conferences, things like that. Some writing, little writing dabbled in here and there. Okay. Um, but I didn't have a category for this that it, this thing that is now Lead Bold. Hmm. Um, and what was crazy to me, and I, I'm sh- I know I'm not the only one that this has happened to, where this new kind of thing comes up and you look back on your story and you're like, oh, there's a thousand ways God prepared mm, me for this. Mm. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Like even the fact that I did mostly speak for women, I could list off the top of my head 50 women leaders in the Bay Area that I had worked with and had known and could tell about Lead Bold, you know, like stuff wow, like that. Right. A- and so, um, so that has... Uh, truly become you know part of my heartbeat to be able to hear women's stories and make places both physical spaces and virtual spaces for for women to find each other to be equipped to be affirmed and just I love that word activated we probably should put that in our mission statement somewhere but I love this idea of just sort of activating what God's already doing whether it's Someone who is, you know, very sure of their call. They've been doing it for 30 years. They're a lead pastor somewhere. Or whether it's a woman who is volunteering in a small group or whether it's a woman who's leading in a nonprofit space. It's it's all, um, it's this huge community that that we want to gather and empower. Yeah, because I hear in that, it just seems like too, and, and, and it seems like even culturally, we're, we're sort of waking up to this reality. It maybe depends on where you are, but just that, um, you know, women have often historically certainly been marginalized or, you know, uh, certainly their giftedness or capacity downplayed. And, and that's hopefully changing. Um, but it seems like there's often women can feel very either isolated or not affirmed. I mean, if, if for women that are listening to this that are, I don't know, just not sure if God has something for them or why would God use me? I'm just regular old me. What, what would you say to them? Well, one of the things I learned in improv was say yes. Mm. And in improvisation, you have to say yes to what somebody says, the lines that come, the situations that come, because you're all building the scene together. You're writing mm. the story together. So you just have to do it in agreement with each other because that is what collaboration is and that's what improv is. So to those women, I would say, just say yes to what you see God has right in front of you. You don't have to have your theology figured out. You don't have to fix the situation you're in if you're in one that feels um, oppressive in any way. Sometimes you just need to do the work. Mm -hmm. And in doing the work, maybe that leads you to a different situation. Maybe it leads you to some relationships that will you know, come alongside you and carry you when you need to be carried. Um, I guess I'm a big believer in like not having to have it all figured out um, to be in this moment that God has before you. For some women who might be in a place where their their setting is not affirming, um, I find that sometimes those women, sometimes they're, they need to go somewhere else to be able to flourish. 
sometimes they're invited to stay and be part of the conversation. Um, sometimes they're invited to stay and just keep doing the work. Yeah. And I think it's important that we don't judge what someone decides to do. You know, even with Lead Bold, while the conversation about women's roles and women's leadership is certainly part of our DNA, and it's kind of unavoidable when you get a bunch of women leaders together, it's not our agenda. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like, oh, also we're always going to talk about this because again, it is to empower that woman, whatever her calling is to, to be freed up to do it. So, so yeah, I would just, I would just say to keep saying yes to what God puts in front of you because like how I looked back and saw all these things that God really wove together, even like improv, like who knew that that could be something God would weave in, right? That I think that's kind of how God co-writes all of our stories with us. So women who are listening out there or men who are alongside women, um, you know, I think trust that that God's going to weave those things and help you be the exact unique person that you are in this world and that God can use in ways that he can't use somebody else. As a, as a faith leader, as a pastor in the local church, and, you know, this is a, a little bit of a right turn here, but the last couple of years certainly have been very polarizing, divisive, challenging for the church. Many pastors and faith leaders listening to this, um, they're weary. They're, uh, they're probably weary of even saying they're weary. And they're t- <laughs> tired of everybody saying, yeah, aren't you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about being tired. But what, in, what has encouraged you? What has kept you going? And when you felt like, maybe, I don't know if you <laughs> felt like either shutting down or slowing down or giving in, you know, what, is, what has helped you sustain and kept your, you know, kept your hope up? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not surprisingly, it still comes back to what I was saying before about the acceptance and the fruit and the mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is that, at the end of the day, while I hope that the work I do and the content I create and the whatever is that God uses it and it's meaningful to someone else, at the end of the day, it is me living my life toward God. Mm-hmm. So during the pandemic, what was frustrating, I think, for our team and probably a lot of teams is that because everything was so video-based, you're kind of putting content out there. And unlike in person, you have no idea if it's effective, if it is making any difference, is it sticking to the wall, so to speak, right? And so in that, you had to just keep doing the work because God was calling you to do the work. And you had to pay attention to what you think God wanted you to do because you didn't really have any feedback as to whether it was working or not. It was a real exercise in trust. Like, am I trusting that it's actually the spirit that's going to do the work and it's Mm. not my charisma, my preparation, my theology degree, you know? So in that sense, I think I tried, our team tried to lean into just the faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, that, that lends itself after a long time to feel like, oh, am I even making a difference? Because at the heart, that's what we want to do, right? 
Um, and so I, I guess I would just say like it is really leaning into, again, the surrender you know, we're in a season of Lent as we're recording this, and it is the surrender of Jesus that we that we model and that we that we worship Him for. You know, mm-hmm. and so can we as church leaders, ministry leaders, can we surrender what we put on the table to know that even if we don't see how it affects others, um, or if we do, and it's not like we thought it should be, that that we have to circle back to that we have done what we're called to do and that it, it I think can bring fruit in our own life. Yeah. And in my case, I'll just speak for myself. I think it is a way that, that has been able to also keep me not holding too tight to the product that I'm producing. Yeah. Well, that's so good. It's, um, it's challenging and yet freeing. I think that's what I hear. And I, I'm reminded of uh, the title of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm. You know, that we could just continue to walk faithfully. And, you know, and, and I do think that God is seems to be about wanting to rewrite some of our success metrics. Yes, You know, that's that good. he really is wanting to reshape what we've defined as success. Because, you know, the, I think the evangelical church is often shaped by our American culture, which is more, bigger, better. <laughs> yeah. And, and God's saying, well, um, that's not always success in my eyes. It's being faithful. It's trusting me. It's, it's, it's following him, saying yes, and, mm-hmm. letting, him, and letting him determine what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One other thing, too, just that, I, that comes to mind um, so in Lead Bold, we do Instagram Lives and we do podcasts and we always have a guest, kind of like this. It's like always conversational. And I had a guest yesterday and we were talking about um, overwhelm. Mm. And she has been kind of digging into diagnosing what kind of overwhelm you mm. have mm. so that you can solve it the right way or at least try to attend to it. And she made a distinction between workload overwhelm, which is, you know, just too much on the list. We all know that one. That's the one that we mostly always categorize. I'm overwhelmed. I have too much to do. I have to take things off my plate. That'll solve it. But she delineated this other kind of overwhelm called mission overwhelm. And she described it as it's when the mission is so heavy on you that that's where the overwhelm is coming from. Mm. And I think as pastors, especially in this season that we've all been in that is divisive, that is, you know, one thing after another um, that seems to not be life-giving. I think some of us have just, it has felt even more intense how important the mission is that we're called to, how much it really matters. And so it raises in us this sense of, I better not fail at this because nothing else matters. If, if we can't bring the love of Jesus to this world, this world is screwed, right, <laughs> you know? Right. And so in all of our little spots, it's that heavy, heavy mission. And I think maybe for some pastors and leaders, it's not necessarily that there's too much to do, too much on the to-do list. Maybe, yes, that's it too. But it might just be the tiredness of carrying yeah. such a heavy mission mm. for so long. Yeah. And her advice in that her answer to that was 
was community. Mm. It was really leaning on the, the people in our lives, the, the small circle of people in our lives that can come alongside to be the encouragers, to be the ones that we can let down our guard. Mm. Because hopefully we all still will stay true to that mission that God's calling us to. But this is a season where it's really, really hard. Yeah, that's good. And there's a need for us to, to travel even more closely, even more authentically and vulnerably with a, with a smaller group, perhaps, that mm-hmm. we can share that the burdens we're carrying. Mm-hmm. And I think I would add to that one more piece is that the mission is ultimately not up to us. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that God has been rewriting in my own mind and heart for the last number of years. It, it, I, I would never have said, if, if it's to be, it's up to me, you know, ultimately <laughs> in God's kingdom. I wouldn't have said it out loud, but I felt it deeply. Mm. And I think there's a lot of faith leaders, a lot of pastors and others that even though we'd say, no, it's Jesus' job to, to you know, grow his kingdom and establish it and all of that, but we feel this deep burden that I have to... I have to make something happen. And if, if we could free up somebody today and going, it, it, frankly, you can't make something happen. That's yeah. not our job. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, and that might even sound heretical to some of us, <laughs> but it's, it's just true. Yeah. We talk a lot around our church about, you know, we're not in charge of outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only God that can do anything with outcomes. We can control what we put in. We can be obedient to the long the, what was it? The obedience to the long, Obedi- long obedience in the same direction, long obedience in the same direction. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but yeah, ultimately really letting go of, um, those outcomes That's is very good. freeing. Yeah. Love that. I remember I had a counselor many years ago said to me, Richard, what do you think it would be like to live as if you were, you took action without an attachment to the outcome? And I thought, that's a really neat idea, and I can't do it. <laughs> I should try that I should sometime. try it, but... <laughs> All you heard was blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> Thanks. That maybe works for you, buddy. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it stayed with me, obviously, for yeah. a long time. Uh, Andrea, Lead Bold is, mm-hmm. uh, is, has something coming up. Can you talk about it? Yes, absolutely. So I mentioned that in 2020, like all of us, we pivoted to be virtual, and so now... Thank, thank God we have more, we have a broader community now that are all over the country. And so we're now leaning into creating and offering more consistently some online resources. So on April 30th, we have something coming up called Inspired to Lead. Mm-hmm. And that's a Saturday and it's just a 9 to 12 Pacific time uh, where we have a guest coming in. We're talking, um, com- by coming in, I mean she'll be at her home in Austin yeah. Zooming in. Uh, but talking about confidence. You know, as women, I think, well, maybe all of us, we certainly know how to fake confidence. and We've had to do that a lot. And I think we probably always have to do that a little. But what is it to really nurture true confidence as a ministry leader? So that will be a time where we get to hear from her a couple of messages. We get to break up into just Zoom rooms to get to know each other, to talk about what we're learning. Um, Because again, part of Lead Bold is to be connecting relationally with other women that are also leading. Um, And just kind of a good connecting time that hopefully will be full of tools and resources and real strategies that you can build into your leadership. And will be just a space where online you get to be with other women who, like I said, 
innately understand something about you because they're also a woman yeah. leading. So that is on our website um, with all the information and tickets. And we do have, um, yeah, everything's on there. And just would love to have anybody in this community be a part of that because our heart is just to continue equipping. Awesome. We'll uh, link to that in our show notes, as they say. That sounds so professional. Oh, yeah, that, that was right? really good. Yeah, yeah, we'll be, but we will link to that. Um, one last question, or really just uh, an offering, is, Andrea, somebody out there listening, maybe more than one, is feeling, perhaps, as they listen to this, I'm as good or as bad as my last performance, whether it was a sermon I did, a meeting I led, uh, a, a way I showed up. I'm, I'm as good or as bad as that. And I don't want to live in that space, but that's how I feel right now. Um, what would you say to them as a kind of a closing thought to um, remind them um, of this cycle of grace that we talked about? What would be a, an encouragement you would offer them? Mm. Well, I do think it is important to notice, um, like we learned in soul care, notice that, that feeling, that mm. sense of it wasn't enough. Um, because only when you notice it can you then try to practice to release it. Mm. Um, you know, it definitely is a mindset of we, we, we judge ourselves and we grade ourselves, we evaluate ourselves. Um, so it's not a simple answer, but I think it's really just when you don't really feel that you can release it, Sometimes going through the motions of mm. releasing it is what builds that m muscle, the, the proverbial muscle memory. Yeah. So I think it's even in prayers, being able to like let that go to God again mm. in your prayers, um, journaling to be able to release um, really whatever you can do that continues to, you know, it's not like, all right, I'm over it now. I'm not ever going to think about that thing I did that I wasn't so proud of or whatever. It's a continual thing. Mm. It's just like we talk about with God, it's a relationship. So yeah. it's not, it, you have to nurture it. So I think with those things, it is continuing to let go. And again, just circling back to that idea that you have no idea how the spirit used what you did. Yeah. It could have been the dumbest thing you said that was what, somebody needed to hear and that made them click it could have been the mistake that you made that allowed somebody in your audience to see you as human and relate to you better you have no idea yeah. um, and at the end of the day if it's something that can help you see that God is bigger that he is responsible for outcomes then it can still be seen as a gift well we will close with that that is good Thank you, Andrea. What a joy to get to talk to you today. And uh, we'll check out Lead Bold in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. We hope it's been helpful to you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can at Wellspring. For more information about who we are and what we do, please go to wellspringca.org or look us up on Facebook. Just search under Wellspring. Until next time, grace and peace.